opening the Bible to the New Testament, the letter of Paul to the Galatians, reading from the fifth chapter of Galatians, verses 16 to the end of the chapter, verse 26. Stephen is page 1576 in your pew Bible, 1576. Paul is nearing the end of his letter to the Galatians. He has been addressing very serious difficulties and problems that they have misunderstood. Things about the law of God, things about the grace of God. And as he comes near to the conclusion, he begins to outline what the Christian life looks like and what the life of the unbeliever looks like. And here is a passage in which we can learn what God expects us to be and to do. And some of these areas will be very specific, very concrete, things that you can measure your own life. Am I doing this? Am I thinking that? Do I have this attitude correct? Do I need to change an attitude and an action? So with that preface, let's read the Word of God. I'm reading from Galatians chapter 5, beginning with verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissension, heresies, envy, murders, <coughs> drunkenness, revelry, and the like of which I tell you before, just as I also told you in the past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
Against such there is no law. Those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another to envy, provoking one another, envying one another. The fruit of the Spirit. Ask a farmer what he does, and he'll say, I'm a grain farmer, I produce corn and soybeans, I plant tomatoes and cucumbers, or I grow oranges and walnuts. You may have met different farmers, but you've never met one who summed up his work by saying, I plow up dirt. I get rid of weeds. I kill bad bugs. I prune away branches. Farmers do those things, but that isn't their main focus. To plow up, to get rid of things, to kill or to cut away. Their main focus is what they produce. God is like a farmer. He wants to produce a good crop in our lives. Some of us may think of God only in terms of what he's against. That's a mistake. Of course, God is against many bad things. There are all sorts of sins that he wants to plow up and get rid of. But getting rid of evil isn't God's main focus. His main focus is producing good fruit. That should be our focus, too. What's the use of being against all sort of things? if we're not for something. A farmer can plow under every thistle and seed, but he won't get a harvest unless he plants good seed and makes sure it has enough water and nutrients. In fact, if he plows but doesn't plant anything, he'll grow more weeds than ever. Weeds always grow fastest when there's nothing else growing. The great way to prevent weeds is to grow something good. The great way to prevent sin is to grow something good. How does that happen? Through the Holy Spirit of the living God, He plants seeds of godliness that bear fruit in you. We need to recognize evil for what it is, of course. In Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21, the Bible says, The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, Contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, 
heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelry, and the like. Meaning that Paul could go on. Such things which I tell you beforehand, as I told you in the past, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The Bible is clear when it says what God is against. But God's word does not stop there. After listing these evils and warnings of the consequences, Paul goes on to say, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Whatever God is against, this is what he favors. This is the crop that God is in the business of growing. This is what grows and flourishes if God is at work in us. We're going to look at each one of these in the list, but first let me emphasize that the Bible here speaks of the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. The fruit, singular, one fruit, not fruits, plural, many fruits, fruits. The fruit of the Spirit is ultimately one thing, not many. You can't pick and choose of the following nine distinctions of the fruit of the Spirit. They are all appropriate. They all must be evident. Fruit of the Spirit is nothing less than the character of Jesus growing and flourishing in the lives of God's people. And Jesus makes this clear when he says, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so will you be my disciples. Jesus says this right in the middle of a description of how his Holy Spirit works in his people. God is the gardener. He takes people and transplants them or he connects them to Christ so that the Spirit of Christ flows in them, and the character of Jesus lives in them and bears fruit for the sake of God's glory. We think about now fruits, not just weeds, and the nine qualities of fruit. And then we will think about life, not just the law, and two aspects of life. Fruit, not just weeds. So let's examine these nine qualities of the Spirit's fruit listed in Galatians 5. The first and greatest is love. Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. The Bible says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. We love him because he first loved us. 
Now, this love is not something we produce on our own. It's the fruit of the Spirit, of God's Spirit within. Paul writes in Romans 5, verse 5, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. This subjective, this inner experience of God's love through the Spirit is rooted in the objective, the outer demonstration of God's love at the cross of Jesus. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8 The greatest fact about a Christian is that he or she is loved by God, and the greatest result of that fact is that the Christian becomes a person who loves others with the love of Christ. There is nothing greater in the world than to be loved and to love. Without love, everything else is ugly and empty. With love, everything grows with the touch of God. The first aspect of fruit is love. Second thing of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. How can I not rejoice when I'm caught up in the everlasting love of God? How can I not rejoice when the Holy Spirit unites me with Christ and gives me a glimpse of the marvelous future that awaits me? Jesus didn't come to make us a bunch of grim, grouchy grumps who scowl and growl all our way through life. The Apostle Peter speaks of being filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. 1 Peter 1, verse 8. This God-given joy can flourish even in times of struggle and pain. In a letter to Christian friends in 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul wrote, In spite of severe sufferings, you welcome the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6. God's people relish living as his children. And even as they face problems, they are eager for what the future holds in store for them. They're excited, they're delighted, they want to celebrate. Love. Joy. <coughs> the third on the list is peace. Peace is a sense of calm, security, well-being in relation to God, in relation to others. When we are right with God through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans, 1 verse, Romans 5 verse 1. That's our objective status, established in Jesus' death and resurrection. We're no longer God's enemies, but his friends. The fight between God and his people is over. The Holy Spirit takes this objective reality and seals it into the hearts of those whom Jesus died to redeem. The Spirit gives us a subjective, an inner sense of calm and assurance. We know that our eternal future is secure, that our day-to-day -day life is in the hands of God. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will remind you of everything I've said. 
peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. John 14. Whatever worries, weeds of worry and fear begin to grow, the Spirit starts to uproot them so that our peace will grow and flourish. And once we have God's peace in our hearts, we become peacemakers in relationship to one another. One of the biggest obstacles of getting along with others comes when we are not at peace with ourselves, but are at odds with God. But as God, God's peace grows in us, we become peacemakers. We'd rather forgive than hold a grudge. We'd rather win a person than win a fight. We radiate a sense of calm that brings calm to others. We're not controlled by fear and anger, but by the peace of God. Love, joy, peace. Fourth, long-suffering or patience. Close related to peace is that peace is this fourth quality of the fruit of the Spirit, long-suffering or patience. Patience is staying power, steadfastness, long-suffering. The Spirit-filled person has the patience to wait for God when prayers don't get answered right away. Patience to stick with the job when it's not fun and doesn't seem to get immediate results. Patience to put up with people who are obnoxious and hard to be around. Jesus has been so patient with us. And by his spirit, his patience takes root in us, and we become patient in relation to others. Love, joy, peace, patience. A fifth kind of the spirit's fruit is kindness. Kindness is being generous to those who need help, generous in our actions and generous in our attitudes. Acts of kindness flow flow from an attitude of kindness. The Spirit produces a warm, friendly, helpful, caring attitude that grows out of the kindness of our God and Savior. On our own, we might look at someone and see a loser. But with the Spirit within us gives us eyes to see a person in the image of God and to see the human nature which Christ himself shares. The Spirit helps us to see people as God sees us. God's kindness grows in us and because becomes God's kindness through us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. The sixth fruit of the Spirit is the quality of goodness. We are dominated by our sinful nature we might think that goodness is rather boring and bothersome. Who wants to be a goody-goody or a do-gooder? But the Spirit produces a whole new view of goodness. Evil loses its excitement and glamour. Goodness becomes an adventure and a thrill. To be good is to be wholesome, hearty, healthy, pure, and full fully alive, love, joy, peace, 
kindness, goodness. Seventh on the list is faithfulness. When God's, when the Spirit's fruit grows in you, you grow in loyalty, reliability, truthful, and honest. You are faithful. You'd rather break your arm than break your word. You'd rather lose your life than lose your integrity. Faithfulness is stick-to-itiveness. You stick to your promises. You stick with your friends. You stick with your spouse. You stick with your God. Your relationships are not disposable, they're permanent. Your convictions are not disposable, they're solid as a rock. Your promises are not disposable, they're sacred. Faithfulness is the inner power to be the same person even when things around you change. You belong to a faithful God who does not change like shifting shadows. And God's Spirit produces some of the same faithfulness in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. The eighth quality of the Spirit's fruit is gentleness. You may think that gentleness is a sign of softness and weakness, but think again. Gentleness depends on skill and strength. Who carries a baby more gently, a strong parent or a two-year-old child who is struggling and totally just to lift up the baby? Who has the gentlest hands when probing at an injury? A child who wants to poke at your owie or a doctor with strong and sure fingers? Gentleness isn't for the weak and clumsy. It takes strength and skill to be gentle and tender and sensitive toward others. Look at Jesus. The Almighty Son of God had unlimited power and wisdom, but did he use it to bully, to intimidate, to dominate? No. He touched weary, burdened, and fragile people with his tenderness and gave them rest and healing. Jesus wasn't weak or stupid. But he described himself as gentle and humble in heart. When the Spirit produces the character of Jesus in us, he gentle and humble in heart. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. The final and ninth quality of the Spirit's fruit described in Galatians 5 is self-control. It's only when you're under the control of God's Spirit that you control yourself. In the flesh, in the old sinful nature, without the Spirit, you're barely even a person. You're more like a bundle of urges and reactions. The more you talk about making your own choices and doing your own thing, the less you are able to control yourself. But when God takes over, you find that you at last can begin to control your urges and appetites and emotions. In the spirit, you control your appetite for food. Your appetite doesn't control you. In the spirit, you control your sex drive. 
your sex drive does not control you. In the spirit, you control your temper. Your temper does not control you. Again, remember, these are various qualities of the Spirit's fruit, and they all go together. Some folks might think that love, joy, sound good, but faithfulness and self-control, that's rather unpleasant. But without faithfulness and self-control, love is nothing more than sentimental feeling, and joy is nothing more than having a good time at the moment. Other folks who are more stern and upright, even uptight, might emphasize patience, self-control, but think that kindness and gentleness are soft and sloppy and useless. But without kindness and patience, it's cold and indifferent. Without gentleness and self-control, it can be harsh and rigid. Give me an example. Think of ordinary fruit. Would you say, I want fruit to be juicy, but I don't care whether it's firm or not. No. Fruit that has juiciness without firmness is rotten. Would you say, I want fruit to be firm, but I don't care whether it's juicy or not. No. Fruit that is hard and dry may be firm, but it is not good to eat if it has no juice. Fruit needs more than one quality in order to be truly good fruit. So too, the fruit of the Spirit is best when the various qualities are combined in a lovely balance. Love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness. Those keep the soul fresh instead of dry and swiveling up hard. Patience, goodness, faithful self-control Keep the soul sound and steady. Keep it from being rushy, mush, mushy and rotten. The Spirit combines all these things in fruit that is juicy and healthy and firm and wholesome. When the Spirit is at work in the life, Christ is truly flourishing that person. All the qualities of the good fruit go together. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all these qualities combined. Life, not just law. After describing the Spirit's fruit, the Bible says, against such things there is no law. Of course not. How could there be a law against such a life? But this isn't a statement, <clears throat> isn't this just a statement that is obvious? However, it becomes part of a bigger picture in Galatians that contrasts works of the law with the life in the spirit. The point is, is that God's law cannot produce fruit in our lives that God wants. Only the spirit of God can do that. <clears throat> Here's an example. A magazine can give detailed descriptions of fruit and vegetables and grain, but did any farmer ever try to grow a crop by going out to the plowed field and reading the article about crops to the dirt? Can dirt grow corn by being told what corn is like? No, it takes seed with life in them. 
not dead letters on a page to make things grow. It takes planting, not legislation, for soil to produce a crop. In the same way, having God's law read to you can't make the dirt of your character grow anything good. You need the life of Christ planted in you, not just the word of the law read to you. On your own, the only thing you can produce is sin. Think again of the patch of dirt. What does it grow on its own? Weeds. Weeds grow on their own. But only good things grow if only they're planted and cultivated by a farmer and a gardener. In the same way, you can grow sin all by yourself, but you can't grow the Spirit's fruit unless the Spirit of God is at work in you. You can't overcome your sinful nature by trying a bit harder to keep God's law. You have to get out from under the law and have God do for you what the law cannot do. This includes at least two things. Justification and sanctification. First, you need a status with God that depends entirely on what Christ has already done and not how you measure up to the law. One thing the law can't do is to set you free from the wrath of God. All the law can do is show you what it is, what sin is, and pronounce the death penalty and hell. As the Bible says earlier in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. But God himself has done what the law cannot do for us. God sent his son, Jesus. Jesus kept the law on our behalf, first by living a perfect life that we could not live, then by paying the penalty of the law by dying a death that we could never die as he suffered hell on the cross. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. God credits the work of Jesus to all those whom God chose for eternal life in Christ and who receive Christ by faith. This is what the Bible means when it speaks of being justified by faith. To be justified is to be set right with God through faith in Christ. By faith, God justifies you freely and forever, you have a new status with God that nothing can revoke. Justification. That new status is the first thing that Christ gives us that the law cannot give, but there is more. When God cancels your guilt once and for all, he launches a second ongoing project of growing the character of Christ the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Just as you can't earn forgiveness by keeping God's law, so you can't become the person God wants you to be simply by trying harder to keep the law. You need the Spirit of Christ 
living and bearing fruit in you. So how does the Spirit do this? By joining you to Christ and bringing the power of Christ's death and resurrection to bear on you. In his crucifixion, Jesus dealt a fatal blow to the sinful nature and the wicked urges of all of God's people. As Paul says in Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. When the old nature is crucified, the sinful heart is plowed up and made ready for the planting of good seed. The Holy Spirit moves you to deep repentance and then implants the life of the risen Christ inside you so that you grow and become more like him. Now, <coughs> now unlike justification, which is once for all, this growing in holiness and bearing fruit, called sanctification, is an ongoing process. The new life is stronger than the old life itself, but just as a new crop is stronger than the weeds that have just been planted and plowed under, weeds that have just been plowed under, but the crop still has a lot of growing to do, and there are still weeds which spring up that must be dealt with and rooted out. As Paul writes in Galatians 5.17, the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. Even those who belong to Christ, the weeds and good plants are still competing with each other. The Holy Spirit does a spiritual weed and feed. He keeps weeding out what's bad and feeding what's good. Thanks to the Spirit, the weeds of sin keep getting attacked, and the fruit of Christ keeps growing until the day when it becomes fully ripe as God's new creation appears in all of its fullness. This is what God is going to do to all those who belong to him and have his life in them. Is this happening to you? Here are some questions I must ask you. Do you live by the Spirit? Have you given up on yourself and put your faith in Jesus? Or are you still counting on your own efforts to measure up to God's law? Can you say with the Apostle, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me? And if Christ is living in you, are you starting to produce a crop God wants you to produce? You are not yet mature or fully ripe, but is the character of Christ growing and developing in you? What sins are still in your life? How is the Lord going to weed them out? And how, you, how can you keep in step with what he is doing? May the Spirit search your heart with those questions and produce in you the fruit of the Spirit. Bow with me in prayer. 
Lord Jesus, apart from you, we can do nothing. But we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. By your Spirit, show us our sin and live in our lives. Nurture your life in us that we may bear the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. For your glory and for the good of others, we plead in Jesus' name. Amen.